Hello and welcome to Decoding the Gurus, the podcast where an anthropologist and a psychologist listen to the greatest minds the world has to offer and we try our best to understand what they're talking about. I'm Professor Matt Brown and with me is Associate Professor Chris Kavanagh and we have a guest with us and we know his name but I'm not sure of his title actually and it's very important. I, I suspect it's Professor. The king of all <laughs> the worldly realms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that above? Is that above professor or below professor? I know <laughs> associate professor. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely below professor. <laughs> that that melodious voice that you hear is the the world renowned David Pizarro, host of this very small, obscure, uh, academic niche podcast. <laughs> very very bad psychics. Very bad. Very bad wizards. That's it. <laughs> which he hosts with. A ghost hunter and philosopher, <laughs> Tabler Summers. So, David is a psychologist, uh, a moral psychologist, is that? Or social psychologist? I, I'm a social psychologist only because moral psychologist wasn't really a title when I started doing it. <laughs> but yeah, I'd say social psychologist. And, I'm, and to answer the question, associate. But there's a story behind that. I just haven't filled out my paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with associate professors, as, uh, even especially especially appointed ones. Those are right. the the ones that that's the title you want, the non tenure equivalent. <laughs> so thanks for coming on, Dave. We've got a another special episode. It's always a special episode when we have a guest, but this one is extra special, special, special because we're going to get you to help us. Do a bit of a review of the crazy mixed up world of the Weinsteins and give everyone a bit of a, an update of what's been going on since our last episode on them. And even though we've probably talked about them far, far too much and we don't want to be thought of as obsessives, even though Chris arguably <laughs> is, uh, it definitely deserves a whole episode to just see where we were and see where we are today and, and how we got there. And it, it's great to have you on in particular because the Very Bad Wizards episode 191, it feels like an eternity ago, but that was around the time of the uh, Black Lives Matter protests. And there were some tweets and things there from Brett and Eric that, that, that got under your skin and you hit some really good points. So do, do, do you remember that time, Dave? I do. And uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I would just want to say not only uh, am I excited to be on your podcast so I can talk to you guys and meet you because I've listened to you guys and, and have not had a chance to meet you, but to be on the Weinstein podcast episode. <laughs> I mean, the Weinstein episode, this is like, you know, <laughs> this is some big shit for me. This is because uh, I've been waiting for you guys to do the episode and here I am like inside of it. <laughs> this is this is guru royalty. This is like being there with um, Dickham and whoever he's married with. But yes, I very much remember, um, I don't remember the content of what <laughs> what I said when I was upset or, or Tamler, because as, as you might feel like once we publish an episode, I forget everything until the emails and the tweets come in angrily. And, you know, we have been doing a podcast for a long, a long time in, in, in podcast time. And we have, I think, a fairly big 
chunk of our following has come to us from people who first listened to Sam Harris and people who would be sort of sympathetic to the thinking of the IDW in general, which is fine. We appreciate the, them. But it wasn't so obvious to us until we said anything against them. <laughs> and then uh, all of a sudden we realized, oh, wow, there are a lot of people who are not happy with us for criticizing <laughs> them. But yeah. You you guys haven't been that shy about criticizing them, though. Even, I mean, there's a connection, which listeners of your podcast will know, that Pamela's stepmom is Christina Hoff Summers, right? Which is a, a very interesting and entertaining dynamic. It actually makes the endless interpersonal psychodrama of the intellectual dark web. In Tamler's case, it actually is a family right. drama, getting blocked on Twitter by your stepmother, that kind of thing. <laughs> it's very, yeah, it's very close to home for him. Yes, uh, Christina has, you know, she is part of the original dark picture spread of the IDW. <laughs> oh, was she in the bushes? She was in the, I think she was in the bushes and she was, you know, she was dressed fabulously in, you know, whatever leopard, dark outfit. Leopard, she leopard, leopard print, print, that's right, that's right. Yeah, that's, right. that's, that's right. Right. just like Brett in the same photo shoot. They, they have <laughs> yeah. matching leopard print. <laughs> this is going off topic, but I have to mention it. I, it might even be uh, a lie, but the photographer who posed the people for those photos, I've seen online that that photographer is skeptical of most of those figures and that he oh. partly intended the pictures to be subtly undermining. And if you look at the Brett Weinstein <laughs> photo, it does look like he's stroking a phallic shaped shrub. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my God, I want that. that. I want that to be true so badly. Yeah. Oh, I'm like, I'm not saying that makes Brett wrong. I'm just saying if he's stroking phallic shrubbery because of some photographer's disdain i i would quite enjoy that that, like, that cut that would be you know it's like those disney animators who would secretly put in a, a phallus in two frames of a children's movie yeah <laughs> this is this is a bit like you the episode you did on the Stanley Kubrick, like <laughs> yeah, the, the Shining, right. where the, it, my, I don't know if you've heard it, but it's a movie about people doing interpretations of The Shining, right? And <laughs> right. reading, and there's one guy that just was reading a lot of phallic imagery into stuff which seemed highly, highly unphallic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, when you see dicks everywhere, maybe the problem lies with you. You know, that's uh, funny. That's funny. But yeah, no, we've not been shy in criticizing. I think, but it is important uh, to us to um, to always to always. This is this is hard to do. I think, and people we may have failed miserably at times, but to speak of people with respect even when we're criticizing them and yeah. there's certain people certainly people we've disagreed with who are i would consider friends sam harris included in that number and so i think that day though might represent the the time when i like had just gotten 
pissed off enough at some tweet that it just set me off. And I don't have a relationship with either of, of the Weinstein brothers of any of, of the four famous Weinstein brothers. Um, <laughs> and so I certainly didn't feel any, you know, I didn't feel any of that. Oh my God, they might hear this kind of, there, there was no sentiment holding me back from expressing my anger at what I what I think, and I think might be a theme of what we discuss, what I view as a sort of deep irresponsibility, not just about what they believe, but about how they are leading, like who they're leading where. Like there yeah. is a, I think in general, an, an unwillingness to deal with the problem of having followers who you know are going to misuse your information and work in ways that even you would disagree with. And that's really what I think pisses me off the most about some of these, especially lately. Yeah. yeah I think when they've like part of the issue with the Weinsteins and the IDW world in general, that most rubs me the wrong way is when you present as a kind of secret value that you're willing to have the hard conversations and get into criticisms and you don't care about the personal elements yeah. or the tribal factors. And then the reality is much more like most of what you see is very strongly tinged with interpersonal psychodrama stuff, right? Like <laughs> you criticize this person and they're my friend. So that, or the, this person is a bad yeah. faith actor. Oh, that term bad faith, by the way, has been uh, getting on my nerves so much. It's it's like started off as something that, that made sense as a phrase to say, and now it's just completely, completely meaningless. All it means is somebody who disagrees with me in a way that I don't like. Like, it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, it's a bit of a trend, is it? Where every every time every good thing gets weaponized and turned <laughs> into this awful imitation and charade of the good thing, and you know, sense making <laughs> is isn't a word that triggers me now. Whenever people say <laughs> yes. sense making, it's oh, a fucking man. red flag. <laughs> trade offs, trade offs. Uh, one. <laughs> we, we can just trade tra trigger words <laughs> no, but, but i like so i think that you know we've been accused by mainly by critics in the leftist side of the sphere of being alt alt idw or like idw light and i tend to think that there are aspects of what the people in heterodox or sense-making spheres are complaining about, right, with like woke overreach or so on, that I, I think has legitimacy to yeah. some of the complaints. And I, I don't have any problem saying that. So it kind of annoys me that it's taken, if you want to criticize anything to do with wokeism or that kind of thing, that you're immediately associated that the intellectual dark web is where you should go. Yeah. And it, for me, it's like, no, just because somebody is complaining about like cultural appropriation of white people cooking noodles, it yeah. doesn't mean I want to sign up for Jordan Peterson's 12 right. uh, month course on the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there's... <laughs> There is so much irrationality. There's enough irrationality to go around. And yeah, depending on who the last person it is, I've criticized or we've criticized on our podcast, that's who you might get lumped in with that month. And I think that, for instance, when when the Black Lives Matter started happening, a lot of people, 
I, I think that their feeling was something like betrayal that I was actually so liberal in my views about race, but it's something that, that to me has been like, just, you know, (laughs) it's obviously been a part of the way that I see the world ever since, you know, I was in high school, let alone since I started the podcast. It's just that we don't talk that much about it, but in the absence of talking about it, people will impute all sorts of beliefs onto you. And this is why this is one of the reasons that I like you guys so much is um, I tell us more. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully you'll edit this out. So I don't look like a simp Um, (laughs) that you guys are just reasonable seeming. And that's, it's a weird thing to make into such a big compliment, but nowadays it sort of is a big compliment that it seems as if you are moved by actual reasons. And this means that you won't ally yourself with somebody just because you will criticize them. And I've seen you say both, for instance, of Sam Harris, good things and bad things about the things that he says, and that that would be a breath of fresh air in the landscape of podcasting in our little corner of the internet is sad. It's, you know, it's sad that you can't predict before an episode is recorded what somebody's going to say about a particular person. It's interesting, isn't it? Like that's no, that's no great thing, is it? To be (laughs) moved by reasons. (laughs) I mean, like, yet it shouldn't be a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, look, my, my co-host is often not moved by reasons either, but I have to put him in check. (laughs) The mystic forces. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and again, it's not as if I think of, of myself as better than these people. I think I just don't have, that much stake in espousing the particular views. Like it doesn't matter that much if I say I don't like this particular viewpoint because I haven't, and I'll be huge credit to our audience for, I think over the years, either, either learning from us or being drawn to us because they were already like this, that it's okay to disagree with each other, mm. criticize, and still actually like each other. You know, yeah, I, I think yeah. that's one of the things that might have drawn people to to our podcast, where we we can yell at each other and be angry and disagree, but it says nothing about the respect we have for each other. Yeah, I really. But in these circles, yeah, yeah, it's all bound up in the personal and the emotional yeah. and egos and things like that, and it's yeah, it's, it's odd. Yeah, I just wanted to echo that, like. It's something I've said a lot, which is that I think dispassion is really underrated these days. Like, yeah. you know, it's a, it's an old-fashioned academic virtue to have a dispassionate interest right. in a topic and for it to be, yeah, you know, just sort of intellectual and, and at, a, at a distance from your self-image and all of those things. And it's kind of not a cool thing to say, but I see it as a, a real benefit to, um, you know, when I think about my non-online research the fact that you do do treat it as a as a puzzle to be solved, in, yeah, and, and not something that's connected to your deeply held values and how the world ought to be—that's a plus. Yeah, it's not a great feat, but mm. I think part of the issue with that, though, Matt, is like that's so often invoked now that people say, "Look, I I don't care about the. I'm not emotionally invested in this, or I'm just rationally." looking at things from an objective point of view, you know, dispassionately. And it's so often not the case when it's invoked that there's a legitimate thing, you know, the same with sense-making or whatever. There's nothing wrong with the term sense-making, right? There's nothing wrong 
with this passionate analysis. But when I hear that, when I hear somebody say, I, I don't have any tribe or I, I don't belong to any political tribe, I immediately think you're the most extreme partisan who just doesn't <laughs> recognize it. But, but it, there, there are non-partisans. They do exist. So Yeah. I mean, look at the, the word rationalism already indicates probably yeah. where you fall. On, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it's 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 sad, and I think a lot of this is just wrapped up in the incentives that w- that are around us, right? So we can see ourselves sometimes being drawn to saying certain things and podcasting about certain topics because those get us the most tweets, it gets us the most retweets, gets us the most new whatever Patreon subscribers, and that's just you know sometimes to the point where if we've done some episode where we made some political statement we're just like next time let's talk about a movie because we would just want to like cool people down a little bit and and just it'd be like that's not what we're it's not the kind of audience we want to cultivate i'm I'm just saying ghosts if you guys went by (laughs) ghosts that seems to like that's all people care about. It doesn't matter who your guest is or what your culture war take. If you want your attention to be swamped, just get Tamler to talk more about the evidence well, for ghosts. It's funny that you say that. The, the next episode movie, the next movie episode will be Scooby Doo. You know, the documentary. Yeah, you can tell Tamler the, the the moral of that story is that it's never a ghost. It's, it's never always an old man. He never, he never, wa- he never watched it until he the must end. hear. Like, like, are you sure uh, that guy wasn't a ghost? Wasn't that the double <laughs> big guy? Like, like, I think well, there was so, a deeper commentary about skeptics. And <laughs> while while we're lightly mocking my co-host, um, let's, I'll say another thing, which is that I think the the relationship that I have with my co-host and the mutual respect that we have is what allows us to disagree. And so, you know, we're constantly mocking each other. But that's also something that's missing in some of this discourse, where it's like, you know, even though people allude to this all the time, the very topic of this episode, we'll see Eric tweeting like, oh, why can't Brett and Sam just get in a room together and hash this out? Well, because that's never what they were going to do. They were never friends like that. Whatever mutual respect or the stroking of each other's egos or the sucking of each other's dicks that goes on in some of these circles, it's not really about mutual respect. It's about whether or not you will get your followers to agree with me and we can like get everybody mad and and show the other people who disagree with us that they're wrong, as evidenced by the fact that the minute a disagreement arises, things go to shit. within that space yeah it's interesting you talk about you know that having a a wellspring of respect for your co-host allows you to have arguments because like i just don't have that with mark it's obvious it's obvious (laughs) we 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 operate from mutual disdain for each other (laughs) and 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 lack of respect but well the the problem this is where i went wrong like when i tell chris too much he knows too much so he knows for instance (laughs) that i'm like hungover and eating a cookie in the shower like it's hard (laughs) to have respect for someone (laughs) (laughs) 
This is true. We do share too much about our personal lives to each other in uh, incidental conversations about uh, about recording a podcast. But yeah, but I mean, this feels like it, it feels so mundane to simply say that like being able to disagree with someone and not lose your shit and cut all contact right when you receive criticism. It's that like this isn't unusual, and especially in the academic sphere. And you know, academics can be thin-skinned. They can be super invested in their theories. Like I, anybody who thinks academics are these objective paragons of rationality, they haven't interacted with many academics. <laughs> but the thing that academics can do is really harshly criticize each other and their ideas and then be on relatively good terms. Like at the next conference, people devote book level critiques and then, you know, they might hate each other, like, but they they kind of are forced together. And like, we interviewed Evan Thompson, the scholar of Buddhism, and he he recommended at the end of it a I think a ten piece special issue of a philosophy journal that was dedicated to his book. And you know the way those book symposiums are that they're often very critical pieces. And you know I just cannot see the Weinstein's or most of the people in the intellectual dark web being able to handle that fairly mild critique where people take yeah. your work, search for critical stuff. And at the end of it, you come back and say, I really appreciate the critical engagement with the content, but here's why you're wrong. Right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's just, it's, it's like a weird thing that that's <laughs> in any way virtuous because it's so normal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, like I, I don't think that this is specific to the intellectual dark web. But these happen to be the people that are on our Twitter feeds and who are interested in the topics that they that they discuss. I'm sure if you went into like whatever any industry that you have a, a collection of people who are who are thin skinned. But it just what bugs me is that they can be people who's very very outwardly proclaim to be not that. At least you know that like some Hollywood exec or some actor who's like a diva, if they tell you you're never going to work in this town again, it's, you were never under any guise that what they really were seeking was the truth of like, you knew, you know, it's an industry, you know, that. but when, uh, when people purport to be dispassionate truth seekers and treat their followers like a cult leader would treat their, their cult followers, it seems, you know, yeah, mm. it's, it's odd. Well. On that note, steering this back to Eric and Brett, I think your episode 191, I'm going to refresh your memory about it because I think it's a good starting point for all of this. Okay, good. Thanks. Um, because, yeah, as you guys mentioned, like us, you're, you guys are in principle are, are fans of heterodox takes and free speech and, and yeah. all that stuff. But what you noticed at the time of the BLM protests, and this was before I was really tuned into these guys, um, Chris probably was more so. I might have listened to a couple of things. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, here's some of the tweets you mentioned of Brett's and Eric's, where Brett called the BLM protests, described them as threatening every value and principle that binds us together <laughs> and, the, and the American Revolution. Um, Eric Weinstein said that the crime of driving while black has become the crime of thinking while white. And and the thing that really annoyed you guys was was Brett Weinstein drawing this strong parallel. Like this is the thing we've noticed too, where everything gets related back to them and their personal oh, kind yeah. of history. And they related these national protests to 
the local drama that happened at Evergreen and his personal <laughs> yeah, uh, right. grievance. Do. And and here's the thing, the, the points that <laughs> you guys made, which is that does the IDW have to be such fucking drama queens? Do they have to be doing so much catastrophization, these hyperbolic comparisons and these personal narratives of grievance of being persecuted and suppressed? And also just this underlying current of narcissism um, running through everything, and I'm like, holy shit, these guys have, have got half the garometer going on there. What's <laughs> did, did, did we steal this and then forgot that we stole it? I mean, what happened? I, I could never accuse you of, of that given how I think clear it is to anybody who's not that invested <laughs> in, in these teams uh, are. But it's an amazing, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of attributing mental illnesses to people I don't know just as a psychologist I'm a non-clinical psychologist I can't even diagnose somebody who might obviously have but but there is something that is very labile about the responses and is as you say catastrophizing so like if well, let's just point to the behavior the behavior is bringing it or I mean it's like evergreen was like his personal 9/11 you know this is like the roots of this is his 1619 is when he got kicked out of Evergreen or not even kicked out. I don't know. I actually don't know what happened <laughs> exactly. Um, but it's a disgusting amount of self-involvement of the sort that I think a healthy mind ought not have and by definition does not have. I just, yeah. The, the, uh, this will be jumping up forward and we should move on to the real of the narrative yeah. of what they've been doing. But I just want to mention that in a recent interview Eric did with David Fuller, this host of Rebel Wisdom, which we'll get to that channel. But he he mentioned that you may wonder why in his videos he wears a suit. I'm sure that's something you were concerned about like you've often been curious why is he so well presented in videos you'll notice that i almost always wear a jacket because i i am the establishment in waiting not uh you know the, the sort of rebels living in the trees um in, enjoying uh terrorism calling it freedom fighting yeah, it requires an incredible amount of discipline to do this. People claim, you know, I was just talking to Sam Harris two nights ago. He said, well, you're anti-institutional. It's like, no, I'm anti the group of people who inhabits the institutions. Why do you think I'm wearing a jacket in sweltering heat? I am the institution class. I'm just in exile. He explains the mystery of that to <laughs> David, that it's not because he likes suits. It's fucking hot and he's uncomfortable in the suit. So he's taking on that burden because he wants to signal to the ruling class that he's ready to step in at the elite level of institutions and right the ship. So that's why he's wearing the suit to, to show that he's ready to join, you know, when they invite him up, he, he can step in there. And the thing is, that wasn't a joke, right? Like I'm sure in this in this video, you've been wondering since you can see me, Dave, like, why is Chris wearing a shirt? And yeah. the reason is because, you know, if the COVID pandemic, if people need to see that they can, 
they can bring me up to the panels so that you know I can let them know how to resolve this shit. I mean, what he's just said is that that I take myself too seriously. Like he has said of himself that the, the way the reason I wear my uh, a suit is, I mean, look, I'm wearing a Marvel Comics T-shirt, so clearly I'm not going to be able to like <laughs> pop into the ruling class and say shit. But, but that's that, that's hilarious. You're actually, but in actual effect, you know, usually in the movies, the Hollywood <laughs> movies, it's the guy in the ironic Marvel shirt who is the one with the crazy <laughs> idea. Like, what we should do is test the ducks, and we can get the serum. And the, like, he's don't, don't listen to him. No, he's a brilliant genius. Look at his shirt. Like, nobody, right. Right. nobody right. would wear that without some deep wellspring of insight so uh, i i've learned i've learned something new today which is that some people when they wear clothes they have reasons yeah (laughs) you obviously haven't paid enough attention to jeffrey miller and gad's sad it's all about signaling when you're ready to fuck and (laughs) your your fertility period you you need to let people know when your testosterone spikes with uh your t-shirt choices <laughs> so, oh, God. all right so yeah like as matt said at the start you're being treated as a relatively normal person okay good this, this might be a, a fiction that we've I created like, but yeah. in, like in comparison to me and the level of weinstein knowledge that's probably fair matt's somewhere in the middle he, he's devoted several podcasts to the weinstein so he cannot <laughs> claim to be I do blame you guys for a lot of what I know about them because because I follow you on Twitter. And sometimes I just, as I was saying off air, I can't help myself. I'll click through uh, because you'll say, can you believe that they said this? And then I'll be like, no. And so I'll click. (laughs) I was was doing this yesterday. In fact, I was was on a long flight. I got delayed. I was on a layover, I had Wi-Fi, and I'm reading my Twitter timeline, and I was like, I guess what I'm going to be doing is watching <laughs> large chunks of the Dark Horse podcast. I can remember when my, I gave my, as an assignment, a four-hour conversation between Douglas Murray and Eric Weinstein, and I think... That's possibly the closest Matt's came to resigning from the podcast. <laughs> and there, there was a point in R3 of that conversation where, like, I think both of us were questioning our life choices. So, yeah, there's, uh, the, we, we shouldn't meta analyze this too much, yeah, Matt. So it's, it's dangerous. Yeah, it's but, verging on self harm sometimes. So, Okay, so Chris, you're gonna you're gonna take us through a little bit of what's happened. What's our jumping off point here? After that brief introduction, <laughs> I'll, I'll look. I'm gonna do this in succinct fashion, Matt. I'll be the master of ceremonies and take you through Weinstein world from where we left them. And let me remind you, we've got two brothers we're dealing with here, and a wife to Brett Heller Hain, who is an entity in her own right. Although Matt sometimes suggests otherwise because he's a raging misogynist Misogynist. so yeah yeah, you know that we you've seen it david off the air i mean i can tell i could just tell (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i mean he's australian so the the where we left him was that brett was firmly on the ivermectin anti-vax train but they they you know they're doing the usual thing of uh, framing it as that they're just asking questions 
they're worried about institutional capture and so on. And Eric has, in the meantime, remained relatively aloof from the conversation. He responded a couple of times just to say, thank you for asking. I don't have an opinion, uncharacteristically, on ivermectin. Oh, and also, Eric's podcast has been on an extended hiatus. In, In typical Eric fashion, he's given several conflicting reasons, hinting at dark forces that were conspiring to prevent the podcast. But Eric's contribution is mostly around detailing what those dark forces consist of and what he's going to do about them. So Mm. maybe Eric is the easiest brother to deal with. Yeah, look, in in some ways, Eric's gone this high road in terms of this sort of abstract, nebulous, conspiratorial stuff, whereas Brett's gotten, since we first covered him, he's gotten really specific. He's intangible. He's he's gone all in on the anti-vax stuff. So where things began to unwind is since taking that very hard stance, they were pushing ivermectin, making pretty strong claims around vaccines being unsafe, having some very strange people, um, some very strange guests on talking about the vaccines causing like terrible- Babies' brains to explode. Babies' brains (laughs) exploding, that kind of thing. And meanwhile, all of the studies around ivermectin, which was at the time quite an ambiguous thing. All the subsequent evidence seemed to be pointing in the wrong direction for ivermectin. Yeah, um, I would maybe clarify that ivermectin had like many, many potential treatments, low quality studies, some of which were positive, but it wasn't the case that like there was a strong body of evidence suggesting, you know, it's a very promising thing. It was like many things in the pandemic, just simply something that people were starting to look into. There had been positive results in in vitro studies, which again, I feel like I'm not, I'm not a clinical drug developer or anything, just somebody with an interest in science and skepticism. And I understand the pyramid of clinical evidence, which is in vitro studies where you see this amazing effect in cells in test tubes is often not translatable into humans or animals, it's kind of like battery technology. People find these initial great effects, but they can't actually turn it into anything that would be usable. So the level of skepticism, I think, was flipped on this, you know, in the same way hydroxychloroquine got. So that that's all my, I know you weren't suggesting it was strong evidence-based, but uh, I don't think the attention it was getting was warranted. So, so Dave, uh, let me ask you this: Did have you heard of the Better Skeptics Project? Uh, you know, in passing, because I, I again from you guys' tweets, um, I I started going down that rabbit hole, and I couldn't for the life of me figure out what happened. And whatever that day was, I didn't have the time or emotional energy to dig too deeply into it. Um, from what I understood, it looked like some attempt at, at um, you know, like uh, g- good faith, uh, antagonistic sort of, uh, uh, you know, dispassionate presentation of evidence. But I don't know. Was it started f- for this ivermectin stuff? Well, I don't want to put you off it, but it, it is described by the 
um, people who run it as an exercise in guerrilla sense making. <laughs> <laughs> but Chris, oh my god! Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, Matt, you've you've joined us onto the like better skeptics wormhole. So we'll leave Eric in the dust for now <laughs> uh, because he's not really involved in this. But so better skeptics is a project organized by a guy called Alexandros Marinos, I believe his name is. This person could be described as Brett's uber fan. Like, you know, I'm not a man averse to long Twitter threads, but I have never seen Twitter threads the length that he produced to defend almost every claim that, that Brett made. Like Sam Harris released a podcast with Eric Topo, which was quite explicitly targeted at Brett. And this is part of the emergence of people within the heterodox IDW space that began to be quite critical of Brett, right? Claire Lehman, Sam Harris, Yuri Dagan, who's a character that will come up in this Better Skeptics project. But it wasn't people just like, you know, us who have been long-term critics of the Weinsteins or that. It's people who would be seen as ideologically on their side. So Alexandros made an uber thread which essentially line by line attempted to dissect sam harris's podcast and essentially declare it all all bad faith all wrong no valid points made in any of the contentions and this is the guy who was organizing the better skeptics project now he was organizing it with his wife who i think is a journalist and they put up ten thousand dollars of their own money to act as an incentive to get people to participate. You, off air, uh, Tana, you mentioned, you know, Sam Harris issuing Look, You call me t- Tamler. I'm, this is your one God. warning. Yeah. <laughs> it's the second time. And, uh, He's done it to me. Some... He's done it to me if it makes me feel any better, Dave. Have I called you Tamler? No, you've called me Matthew Smith. Because right, Smith yeah, is a yeah. very boring last name, like Brown. You sort of it's the it's the ghosts in this here building. But the, so uh, yeah, that project, like you mentioned off air, that Sam Harris had put up some cash if people could convince him he was wrong with him right. being the judge. It's, right. it's it's sort of similar in that vein. So sorry, it was it was a project where it was going to be targeted specifically at the evidence for ivermectin. So specifically, three podcasts that Brett produced, including the mental one with Uh the two guests called Three Steps to Save the World, which has the uh, like unhinged entrepreneur, Steve Kirsch, talking about babies' brains exploding and and whatnot. (laughs) I I didn't see that uh, one. Was it Pierre (laughs) Corey? (laughs) Was Pierre Corey Uh, the other one? Pierre Curie with Rogan, I think, was one. And the Robert Malone was the, the person who claims to have invented the mRNA vaccine, but that nobody else agrees that he invented that. So this colorful cast of the fringe pseudoscience or people with obscure claims, Alexandros decided that like these three podcasts, that if anybody could find any factual errors in that, that this project would be designed to show that. And he framed it as basically he believes in Brett. But he wants to incentivize people to really dig into the claims and, you know, try and take it apart. And he's going to get independent judges to score the claims. And the whole thing will be, like Matt says, an effort in guerrilla sense-making. So one, one criticism that would immediately be made is that you're actually, you've already taken a side in this. 
it's it's kind of strange for a partisan to be targeting their own side, right? Like this is a, I'm turning a cannon onto the things that I actually consider to be largely, you know, on on the right side. Uh, so you know, it's a bit of an odd uh, odd partisan, I guess. And I, I I'll, I'll take that uh, I'll own that sort of uh, you know uh, characterization. But uh, at the same time, the the whole challenge is structured in a way such that if if somebody is truly cares about the truth and it doesn't matter what their preconceptions are if they agree with me or if i disagree with them or if they've never heard of anything to do with this before and they were interviewed by this youtube channel called rebel wisdom hosted by an ex-journalist david fuller which started out as being of pro jordan peterson content like it made a documentary about Jordan Peterson and then went into other figures offering rebel wisdom. So Brett has featured there and various other figures from the alternative sense-making ecosystem. Um, so this project was heralded on this rebel wisdom channel as, okay, let's get down to the nitty gritty, enough of the interpersonal drama Let's just get down to the brass tacks and assess the details of the claims. It's where the rubber meets the road for a lot of the topics we've been covering on Rebel Wisdom. The problems of finding truth, the challenge of sense-making, and it shows all of the problems with the fragmented media ecosystem, the difficulty in agreeing what's true, and it has huge costs and consequences on what are life and death questions. So on the basic steps of it, it, it sounds like not a terrible idea, right? It's almost like setting up a scientific community and having them review things by their peers. There is a clip for this project basically saying that their goal is to do better review of the evidence than all of the relevant experts, like all of the medical authorities, all of the, you know, the the scientific communities. They, They want to do it better because those guys have been doing a bad job of it. Thus far. I think the philosophy is kind of to see if collectively we can produce something that is of higher, or at least as good quality as uh, official or expert sources, right? We've seen with COVID that the official or authorities have sometimes been slow at catching up or they haven't been that reliable always and so forth. And on the other hand, you've seen groups of just random people like Project Evidence that came up, I think it was in the spring 2020, we were one of the first to put together an extremely detailed case with a lab leak. And they were just an anonymous group of researchers and they put up a phenomenal amount of work. And that's just collective. Or you have a drastic group of people, right? Again, just like grassroots organic people who collectively managed to really change the, yeah, change the narrative. It's like people who want to do away with taxes, but then pool their money to help each other build roads. So you'll you'll be shocked to learn that this project did not go exactly as planned. So I have Um, no idea what I'm. I'm kind of excited now because I have no idea. Is it over? It's over. Okay, it's finished. It's issued its final report. Uh, Now, now let's see. uh, Given that you're a naive person here, right, and all you know is that the CEO (laughs) of the project is an Uber. Brett fan. So right. with no other information and no details about the judges, just to guess, what do you think the outcome of this project will have been? Um, my hope is that that the final report 
while overwhelmingly favoring the evidence for ivermectin, at least found one or two potential problems on one reading of the evidence so that they could preserve their air of skepticism and rationality. Oh my God! How did you guess? <laughs> if this isn't evidence of psychic perception, I I don't know what is like that. That was spooky. Yeah. So they got I think three or four that they validated out of forty something submitted objections. Com- you know objections, but Brett and Heller in their recent episode take this as look. This project was designed to take us down. It was an adversarial uh, attempt. And we actually, we thought this was the bad way to do it, you know, because you can take individual statements out of context and so on. And yet it passes us with a clear bill of health. So what does it matter what all these supposed experts say when this BS project that's the initials yeah, they chose for themselves. Terrible. <laughs> uh, give them a clean bill of health. Um, and these, and sorry, the people who were submitting um, their objections were then getting judged by who? Well, first, first, it's important. To, it's interesting who was submitting because there was very little engagement from virtually right. anybody. It's it's almost like people didn't regard it as a good faith project. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, like, right. but but there was a big fly in the ointment, and that in the form of. <laughs> Yuri Dagan, right, Chris? Yes. So are you familiar with Yuri Dagan? Dagan Sorry, Dagan. Is his name. It's, it's only the name that I saw amongst all the Twitter like threads about this project. Oh, I, I think you'll, yeah. you'll love him. Because <laughs> Yuri Dagan, first of all, he's one of the strongest advocates for the lab leak hypothesis, right? Okay. Which I, I have various reasons to be critical and skeptical of the claims made therein. But Brett had him on his podcast as one of the valued resources. I think he called them the A-star, the best available for parsing the research on the genetic stuff to do with why lab leak is likely and, and, and other evidence. So Brett pumped him up as a very, very competent, reliable sense maker, okay. if you will. And Yuri Dagan's background is that he's a Russian entrepreneur focusing on life extension technology, like cryogenics and that kind of thing. And he also is a fairly combative Twitter presence, it's fair to say. So the interesting thing was that he came out strongly in support of the vaccines and drew the ire of the lab leak community, Mm. large portions of it, because Strangely, it's almost as if the lab leak community has attracted like a fair share of conspiratorially minded people. It's weird. There's like a unexpected overlap there between anti-vax sentiment and lab leak hypothesis advocates. What a strange corner of the world where the, the, the thing that lumps truths together are simply their conspiratorial nature. It's just so odd to me that... You know, these are two completely independent things, like the truth uh, or falsity of the lab leak hypothesis and and the effect. You know, there is nothing wrong with a world in which one of these is true and the other one is false. It's just solely a desire to see the world in terms of 
the, the rebels and the, the gorillas and the outsiders who know the truth and the insiders who are part of the system. And it's like for people, you guys probably, I think, have touched on this, if, if I recall correctly, but for people who have worked in a system like a university system or, you know, a professional society or a loose collection of people studying the same thing. It's just impossible to think that these things work out so cleanly in the way that they think that I couldn't get a conspiracy going. I'm not saying that there aren't, you know, the CIA has done plenty of shit, but this is one of the organizations with like the most resources in the world. And still that shit comes out. And to think that any, I don't know, I don't know, like, it's just odd. Yeah. It's it's hard to overstate how much that's encoded in the DNA. Like of all the gurus that we look at, it's almost always maxed out on our scale, right? Conspiratorial thinking. And it's just in the case of Brett and Eric, I can't help but think it's just this desire to feel important and special and have known something. It's uh, this again, I'm breaking my own rules, but it's like their mom told them they were smart and they have spent their life not feeling as smart as everybody else. And now they finally have a host of followers who are telling them, no, they are smart. They're fighting for all of the things that are true. And the whole world is against them. And you know what? On any given Sunday, like nobody would give a fuck about what they think. And they Mm. just got launched into this national stage, international stage of people telling them they must be right about something. So anything that comes out of their mouth it's to their shock and dismay. Somebody comes on and says, I believe in lab leak, but I don't believe in ivermectin. Mm. What? Yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were a rebel. I thought you were a gorilla, you know, mm. not to yeah. you know, get into whether or not these, like any of these people are the, the scientists of the sort that you would trust to evaluate. This is why yeah. I like this. So your podcast to me is fundamentally about epistemology and there's a yep. crisis of epistemology. And we, uh, we're so attracted to people who tell us what to believe. All, I think all of us, I think fundamentally. And there are people filling the vo- that need right now who, uh, who should hmm. not be. Who should not Look, be. There's, a, there's a feedback loop that I think makes any of the, you know, even if you want to regard it as you shouldn't speculate about those things. Brett and Eric have specifically personally stated that they get what they described as a perverse pleasure from feeling that they believe something that the majority think is wrong and feeling that they're so ahead of the curve that other people can't even see it on the horizon. And you imagine that when you have that personality characteristic and to go deep in that Weinstein lore, they've discussed having an uncle who basically give them an unconventional education, encouraging them to seek out that kind of thought process. And when you have that characteristic, and then you have the modern social media ecosystem, where there's this just a desire for people who are just going to constantly shit on establishment or the orthodoxy or mainstream thinking. It's, It's like this horrific feedback mechanism where even if you had reasonable points, you're going to get caught up in the churn of bullshit and just driven further and further. And in Brett's case, the Dark Horse podcast, I remember when they were hesitant to voice anti-vaccine sentiment. Then they have on Geert van den Bosch, 
who is a fringe theorist talking about natural immunity being better than vaccines. And there's still like a hesitation and a lot of throat clearing. And then it gets to the point where you have a non-credentialed entrepreneur talking about babies' brains exploding. Do you really really say babies' brains exploding? We're paraphrasing, but it was describing it causing... Uh, babies to be born with their brains splattered all over Split the place. in half. Split in okay, half, that's okay, right. Okay. That was the phrase, yeah. So You mean we, we, you mean into two hemispheres? Yeah, it's never been heard, been heard of before. But, but like claiming with no irony that, you know, it's the crime of the century and the three steps to save the world. So there's obviously been an escalation in rhetoric yeah. just in the past, 12 months and now there's a walking down of it but uh we'll get to that uh, yeah. i mean but but just to pick up on your point david i really agree with you i think like we're not philosophers but somehow actually you're you're right that it really is all about epistemology and the f- interesting thing about these movements and these characters is is the claim to epistemic authority and yeah you can you can think about a lot of these ingredients as whether it's the cultishness or the conspiracy theories or the fact that you cannot trust the establishment, they all work towards positioning themselves as, as a source of unique, trustworthy knowledge and, and, and to go to them. So it's, yeah, it's, it's just like, I don't think you can understand it without focusing on that. It's, um, it's scary because, you know, we've done quite a bit as a society to try to build up expertise specific domains you know division of labor we we have to we have to give up the steps in which we might vet every individual person and we have to trust entire fields to produce knowledge and i don't know shit about climate change i just have to trust whatever climate change scientists there are and the minute that gets eroded then we're right back where we started where it's you know big chief told me Big man in sky, mad. This is my anthropology, by the way. That's a yeah. That's a, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> great, great, great. <laughs> I assume that's what every uh, non-white society ever uh, how they talk. <laughs> this is giving me flashbacks to Gatsad recounting his engagement with a postmodernist. Matt, if you remember, I don't believe in the sun. I believe in walking hyena in the sky. Right. <laughs> This. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but David's right. I mean, the scary thing about it all is that it points to how fragile the, yeah. everything how- is. And as you say, it relies on trust and mm-hmm. these networks of trust and the trusted institutions mm-hmm. and so on. And look, God knows our institutions aren't perfect, sure. But it's a bit like, you know, the, the economy is fueled by confidence. And when right. the confidence goes, it, it can crash quite easily. You know, knowledge is like Bitcoin. We are okay. <laughs> we are completely volatile now in terms of our trust in our institutions in the same way that my, my Bitcoin investments go up and down every single day. And yes. it's like, <laughs> like that. Like that that's a point that didn't need an analogy, but I found one. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to at this point insert a quote from a noted philosopher who we, we all respect quite deeply, who I think makes is this point very elegantly on the recent podcast. So let's hear our esteemed colleague. And I'm not so sure it is at this point. Again, I think we're in the presence of something like a religious or pseudo-religious phenomenon. 
people are just not thinking clearly. And mere contrarianism is becoming part of their identities. I mean, there's something pornographic about all this. This reflexive distrust of institutional authority is like the pornography of doubt. People are infatuated with this stuff. And there's a, there's a zealotry around it. And the quality of the thinking is so bad in so many cases. Given my experience on other topics, it's impossible to shake the feeling of familiarity here. This is what it's like to argue about religion or the 9-11 truth conspiracy. Well said, Sam. And by the way, just to mention, listening to that, I very rarely hear Sam at times one speed, and it's almost erotic. <laughs> <laughs> he is dreamy, as I've always said. Um, I, I listened to that whole section on my own, and I emailed Sam and told him how well I thought he put it. And, I, and Sam has a real shot at actually convincing that group. Right, like I don't, I don't think the people who listen to you or I are the that group that needs to be convinced. But there are a lot of people who listen to Sam who I think might actually be affected by what Sam says there. And I love the terms that he used. You know, he's it's just well put, and it's it is perverse. You know, it's I don't know. Mm. The podcast he did with Eric Topol was very good as well. He's been good at this. Like just before the podcast yeah. came out. I made a tweet saying what Sam should do, you know, like armchair criticizing what he should do with his podcast, but he did it, right? He got an expert on and went through the claims. And so he, he definitely deserves credit for the yes. the stance that he's taken on that, especially given that he is so sympathetic to the interpersonal aspects. Like he is someone who generally doesn't criticize people that he has interpersonal relationships with. So the yeah. fact that he's willing to, in this case, means that he really clearly thinks they're doing something bad. Look, if yeah, if Sam took the time to chastise me that way, I would listen. <laughs> I mean, I seriously would, because I don't yeah. think he would spend his time saying the stuff if he didn't think it was truly dangerous. And look, you know, I don't need to say all of the things that, that one might have to say about, you know, not agreeing with everything he says, certainly on record disagreeing, but that doesn't mean that I can't in this case think that he's just like the voice of reason, man. Like, and this is Sam's backhand to Brett's face. This is the the slap that I think will be heard across all the IDW. <laughs> it's a bit like, you know, when he released that podcast, because I think it's also directed at Eric to a certain yeah. extent, these comments. And his podcast re attempting to resign from the IDW, where Eric responded by saying, you can check out anytime you want, but you can never <laughs> <laughs> Eric has some corny tweets, man. Oh, well, yeah. we're going to get to them, okay. but... I, look, I was supposed to be master of ceremony, so I'm going to return you to the life extension Russian entrepreneur. Yeah, okay, good, yeah. <laughs> Yuri. And I actually have a clip from him to let you hear him, because I think you'll like him. So as Matt said, the Better Skeptics project would have just farted into the wind with nobody paying any attention to it, except that Yuri Dagan, this previous person that Brett had held up, essentially decided to submit a lot of criticisms in detail. And so he he kind of inundated the project, I think on the first day with 21 
submissions and they rejected 18 automatically because mm. there was a rule that says you're only allowed to submit three, which already... <laughs> I was, was going to say it was, it was the font The font was wrong. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, so equivalent to that. And also the Twitter account that they had set up was automated to tweet out that this claim had been rejected. <laughs> I was like, right. So it was just, you know, claim rejected, claim rejected on the first day, <laughs> which is uh, a wonderful signal. And then... Yeah, the founder went to Twitter and started taunting Yuri about failing to follow the rules. So Yuri requested that people just copy and paste his, his criticisms if they want free money. And then there was that being rejected because of duplicate submissions. And like the whole thing on the first day was already coming up with the limits of guerrilla sense making right. apparatus. But so Yuri eventually despite engaging on this project, he doesn't have faith in this project. And he has produced an article for Quillette with Claire Belinsky, which is very, very harshly critical of Brett and goes through in depth because Claire Lehman is also sympathetic to the criticisms right, of yeah. Brett. And so after he releases that article with, with Claire Belinsky, he then goes on David Fuller's Rebel Wisdom podcast for a two-hour episode where he takes them through a one-hour slideshow detailing, you know, showing the pictures from studies, the kind of thing that only me and Matt (laughs) might might be interested in. But the kind of thing which the heterodox sphere, you know, this is what they do instead of going to lectures, is watch these conversations. So it was a really, really thorough rebuttal. And Yuri clearly knows what he's talking about when it comes to these kind of studies, because part of his expertise is that he has been assessing clinical trials for the past decade. So he's got right. a, he, he's actually asked by David Fuller for his credentials at some point. And he's like, you know, why the fuck does it matter? Just believe what I say or don't. But then he teases out of him that he actually has like a decade of experience assessing clinical trials. What is your background? And what is your expertise in this area? I don't, who cares? I mean, I'm, I present you evidence and claims. Please evaluate them on the value of, like, of the evidence. doesn't matter who is delivering them, as long as they're delivering coherent arguments substantiated by evidence, facts, links. So, like, this is it. Like, people are like, oh, sure, you should listen sure, but- to Robert Malone because he's the inventor of mRNA vaccines and he has a PhD. No, like if he says bullshit, stupid things, wrong things, or if he doesn't provide the evidence and there's counter evidence from coming from, I don't know, five-year-old, listen to the five-year-old because like evidence trumps credentials. Sure, I, I get that. But I think you have a, what, what is your background? Why, why do you have a medical background? No, I don't have a medical background. I have a drug development background for the past decade or even longer. So, I mean, if you need credentials, I have been developing new drugs, analyzing drug development, clinical trial data for the past decade or animal data. So (laughs) it might have been relevant. But anyway, I'm going to play a clip of Yuri in that interview talking about his criticism of Brett and how he sees it. And it's quite a nice encapsulation of his character. And also to call out Brett 
publicly. Well, why, I mean, Brad is the biggest you... source of this misinformation. He's the biggest voice. Basically, he is the, 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 the leader of the movement for ivermectin false efficacy and vaccine false dangers. Like, Brad is the spokesperson for the movement. So, uh, and he's also a friend, or at least I, I still consider him a friend. Maybe he no longer thinks of me as a friend. And maybe there's a bit of a disconnect between, like, what people in Russia, <laughs> the level of shit they can tell their friends and still remain friends. And, I don't know, people in the United States that they, they can't, like, there may be so thin-skinned or the, to them, like, criticism or even vocal criticism or even, like, being a little bit of a jerk when voicing criticism to them, that's a deal-breaker and friendship's over. I don't know. In Russia, we, like, we fight first, then we drink vodka, and then everything's <laughs> fine. <laughs> In Russia, vodka drinks you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I, I really, I, I can't dislike Yuri. Like, yeah. he's actually... Uh, almost encouraged me to appear and debate the lab leak with him. And, like, I've, I've made clear I can't debate the technical details, but I, I think I can highlight the conspiracism and that kind of stuff. But I probably will do it just because I enjoy Yuri. <laughs> like, <laughs> he seems to have the right attitude about it. But So he does a dissection of the arguments, this in-depth, each point showing, you know, the diagrams that they showed on the Dark Horse podcast, like, for example, saying that the um, spike proteins are concentrated in the ovaries. And then he shows that actually it's a graph where they cut out the other four organs where the concentration is much higher. And anyway, the paper says the concentration is way, way lower than anything that could cause uh, any significant effect. I don't and, know what to call that tactic of taking things out of context, like visually or or charts, but that's such a classic move, man. You know, because yeah. as, if, as if the size of the diagram that you show is like, uh, has absolute meaning. Yeah. There, there was another sign from the diagram in one of the biggest ivermectin studies, the one that I think is now being retracted or at least has huge questions over it, was that the graphs they used were the default Excel bar charts using the default colors and they had the like uh, series one randomly series still there. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like, you know, that, that's the kind of thing where people in the alternative ecosystem are like, what the fuck does that matter? You know, it's just a, don't be nitpicking. And you're like, no, every academic understands what that implies about the quality of the thoroughness which this paper is undergone. And that paper is also, see if this raises any red flags, Dave. It's in a journal with one issue. <laughs> so so there's, there's a couple of warning signs, right? But uh, Yuri's, Yuri's debunking there is a good illustration of why that ivermectin stuff is a conspiracy theory because none of the claims are hard to debunk. But the thing you notice is that there's so many of them and it's just like playing whack-a-mole where, you know, one bit of evidence turns out to be rubbish, but they've got 
a thousand other ones. So it's, it just yeah. has that structural similarity to pretty much all conspiracy theories. Yep, exactly. That's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hydra of bad evidence. Yeah, and, you know, so like the Better Skeptics Project, to put a capstone on it, it descends into farce, mainly internet drama with Yuri being called out by various people and judges saying that they've been attacked by Yuri online. And then various things coming out that academics would understand the issue where the three independent judges all see the scores that they submit. And there's various discussions about like how, I think there's a, they need to get over a barrier of nine to even consider a submission, right? To to do the sense-making, to try and work it out. But there becomes a tacit agreement on the second day that basically you shouldn't be assigning scores of four and five, except in very rare cases, which means that almost by default that nothing reaches the level of being assessed. And then like the things that are assessed, there's a lot of generosity applied to the claims, right? Right. It's all things where India, maybe there's one academic who said ivermectin is widespread. Therefore we can tick it because one person said it was widespread. So that the person then claimed that India has reduced its cases because of ivermectin is not false. You can't say it's false because... Somebody said that ivermectin is widespread <laughs> in India. So the project falls apart. And it, like, just as an illustration of the thought that goes into the project, it's called the BS project, right? Yeah. And the reason for that is that they put the icon of the no, right? You know, the kind of red yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. thing for it. But you don't hear that <laughs> in the you audio format, you, right? You're saying you can't hear a diagram? Is that what you're saying? Is that the bold claim that you're making? Yeah, so... So even the advocates are referring to it as the BS project in the, you know, shorthand. And and the judge comes out saying they felt informal pressure to lower their scores on the second day. And and there's, there's just tons of stuff. Even the fact that they baked into the document that they would revise all the rules each day according to whatever. And there was no criteria for how they would do that. They would just take stock of criticism on the internet and then... And revise. You know, so. what this, you know what this is, Chris? This is guerrilla bureaucracy. They're reinventing <laughs> p-hacking. It's We're like, the, 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 you know, they could have just read Bam's article and saved themselves the baller. <laughs> so Yuri doesn't have any faith in the project. And the guy, David Fuller, the rebel wisdom guy, he hosted them. But he yeah. was just he was just somebody who thought the project could be useful, right? He's one of the people that is interested in alternative sense making and so on. So he he highlighted the project and was like, here's an idea. He raised some criticisms of it. And he's actually probably the only person in that space that's managed to ask critical questions of Brett and various figures, uh, James Lindsay, except for you, who, <laughs> who then goes on to get all contact cut, right, from these figures, including Jordan Peterson. Right. So he, he's, I think he's a good actor, maybe just a little bit too heterodox and kind. And he features Yuri, and then this gets taken as bad faith. They didn't wait for the end of the project to pronounce. Yuri went on and he did his slideshow and he took his material, which he'd submitted to the better skeptics. And this is taken as, you know, they're operating in bad faith now. They have undermined the project and they're no longer good faith actors. So 
Brett and Alexandros regards them as now hostile entities. <laughs> oh my! This, you know, this is the kind of thing that they would say. I don't know if they have, but this is what they would say. They would say, you know, I'm not saying that someone got to them, but I'm just saying that this is what it would look like if someone had gotten to them, and it <laughs> just makes me ask the question. You know, did, is is someone is someone? Th- I'm I'm concerned maybe for their safety. Because they're they're acting as if somebody has gotten to them, maybe their family. I don't know. I don't know how somebody That's, would. You know, that is also the thing that then the that Uber <laughs> fan or very solid people would say, like, "What are you talking about?" He expressed concern for their safety. He's not crit. He's worried about them. Yeah. And he didn't say <laughs> somebody right. had got to them. He said it might. It's what it would look like if someone got to them. Like, what are you, you guys? This is yeah. <laughs> this is reason making yeah. in the online mm. infosphere. But Dave, what what do you make of this? I mean, like putting aside all of those just methodological and issues and bias with a project like this better skeptics thing, it seems to me that something like that is fundamentally flawed because what they do is they, they get right into the weeds right off the bat. They, they focus on very particular little claims. And as we know, one can cherry pick and construct a, a grand narrative and a conspiracy theory from a, a bunch of little details that yeah. may in themselves be true. So the, the issue with what someone like Brett is doing is not those tiny little claims, but rather how they put it all together to create this conclusion that we should be very, very worried about vaccines and essentially encouraging people not to get vaccinated and to use unproven treatments instead. You know, the way that I um, have felt when I hear them talk is, is like you would, you would think that somebody who had consulted with counsel as to what they should say or not say, and they seem like they're often careful to say, I'm not anti-vax. I'm not, I never said vaccines shouldn't be used, but, um, but there is no way you can listen to them for any significant period of time and think that they're not. Mm. So it's, it's a kind of double speak that they're really, really good at actually, like where they avoid any liability or any responsibility for having misled people by denying the, you know, using the letter of law saying, I never said that specifically, but you know what you're saying. And that's what bothers me the most. Like they know what they're saying. And this is a question that I came in wanting to ask you guys, which is, do you think that they believe this shit? So I was talking to my girlfriend about Alex Jones and she's just, she's not the sort of person who who listens to any of this stuff but um she has fallen into the youtube you know black hole of listening to alex jones previous times in her jones and you know and she's firmly convinced that he's he's such a grifter that he's he just completely doesn't believe anything that he says these guys are harder these guys are not alex jones like i it sounds like they might have convinced themselves and i don't I don't know why they chose ivermectin. I have no idea. But do you think that they actually think that they're really being objective at this point? Um, I think they kind of do. Yeah. I, if, I mean, thinking about Brett and how to say in, on the specific thing, um, yeah, I don't think they're very good thinkers. I think they are conspiracy theorists. And yeah. I, like we, we know how careless they are in terms of their research. Like We know they don't read 
papers and stuff and we know they misunderstand things and i think it's highly connected to that narcissism thing yeah i mean narcissists really do have that amazing self-confidence so that they they do a cursory glance at something and feel that they've just you know without any background do convince themselves that they've figured it all out so it's a bit like asking does does trump really believe that he's the smartest men in in the world and that you know all that stuff and it's kind of the wrong question isn't it like every psychologist knows that (laughs) that people people deceive themselves before they deceive anyone else don't they yeah yeah and and it's hard it's hard to to you know if i were them looking at them i would say they're just doing it for the patreon sweet patreon dollars but they they probably don't don't think that i i think there's too much like from being so immersed in their content it's clear to me that it's it's a whole mixture right in terms of their self-image as these rogue intellectuals is tied up in their position now with this and their income is now tied into the increase in Patreon support that they've generated from it. And, you know, just interest, appearances on Tucker yeah. Carlson and so on. So it means that I think trying to disentangle like where the influence is going, it's hard because there's influences going in all different directions from them to their audience, from their audience to them, yeah. from their bank to their, you know, and lots of it is bound to be unconscious as well. So I do think, however, that Brett, has to consciously know that he is not addressing certain arguments. And like, I don't know how, if he is seriously deceiving himself that he's answered them, he has like a level of self-deception armor that any role player would be hugely envious of. It's, right. it's you know, plus 30 <laughs> right, right. to avoid any self-doubt. Right, right. Um by the way, did you guys, I assume since you watch everything, you watched uh, Eric Weinstein unveil his website oh, on Joe that Rogan? so painful. <laughs> Wasn't that one of the, one of the cringiest things I've ever seen? I was, it, it really, really made my penis soft. I it actually made me, that's one of the times where I felt sad for Eric. I was like, oh, I don't, like, I think you're a self-aggrandizing asshole but oh god it's it was was worse than the worst episode of curb your enthusiasm (laughs) (laughs) this is the this is like when trump is like one of those g8 meetings and all like the french and the english are all (laughs) laughing at him and he's he's just like you always feel sorry for him almost but like with trump he's such a you know he's he doesn't even have the pretense of intellectualism right he's a buffoon Mm. but like eric has his water wiggle he calls the shots yeah (laughs) (laughs) and he's he's swinging it around and he's he's built a website around pull that up jamie right in a weird a very bad read of a situation for something that's supposed to be flattering such a bad read i i mean joe i've i don't watch a lot of joe rogan um but have you got you guys haven't done it no we will no yeah okay i was gonna say he's not he's naturally on the list um but i've not seen such animosity 
toward one of his own guests. <laughs> yeah. And then they get into like, I actually agreed with Eric in this discussion about music and universality. I can't remember what it was about, but it, it tinges all of the rest of the conversation nearly because Joe is just being argumentative and dismissive, yeah. right? Yeah. Super dismissive. I mean, and you know, because he had lost his patience, I think calling him, he's saying, you know, I don't understand anything that you're saying right now. Yeah. Which is- yeah. Well, I, well, I saw an interview with Eric Weinstein and Sabine Hofstadter. Did you guys see that yeah. one at all? No. Because that was actually, they were both guests on another program and there was a bit of a debate between them and Sabine Hofstadter is another sort of whatever pu- public educator of physics sort of thing. And, and she's quite good and is known for being like a no-nonsense kind of physicist. She, she's not into, for instance, things like string theory and stuff where, where you can't actually do yeah. collect data and get evidence. And they're, they're talking about his grand unified theory and she's making a lot of very sensible points. And Eric is doing what he usually does, which is to use more complicated language and kick it up to a higher level of, of abstraction. Yeah. And like, she's a physicist and she's, and I just appreciate it because she was flat out saying to his face, I have no clue what you were talking about, Eric. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's one thing if Joe Rogan doesn't get it or if we don't get it, but I found it refreshing. And, you know, this is connected to some of the other little um, dramas we could briefly uh, revisit. Whereas when people who really do know their stuff look at these highly technical claims to you know special accomplishment it it never seems to stack up yeah no there is a (laughs) there's a reason that you know these big paradigm shifts that happen in things like physics have happened from within the academy (laughs) like because like, I don't know. I mean, it just seems like a reasonable thing to believe that some some fringe person isn't going to upend all of physics. People would be worshipping at his feet. Uh, yeah. This is something, though, I did notice that you mentioned where he, he uh, ramps up that level of jargon and abstraction. Yeah. Uh, maybe abstraction isn't even the right word because he's just jargony. And I yeah. thought, well, he must not have been a very... I don't know that he was ever a professor, but he can't have be a very good teacher. Is this Brett or Eric? Uh, Eric. Uh, Eric. Eric was never a professor. Yeah. yeah, he's he's just you know he's in the private sector where that actually makes you more respected in the room. When yeah. you can say big words that people think are smart, you actually get the consulting gig. But yeah. in in academics or whatever, you know, there Richard Feynman spoke in a way that we would understand like <laughs> yeah yep actually you know and it's not it's not even super uncommon like it is relatively rare but f- for instance at um at my institution for a little while they had a, a like a specialist statistician right who was who was yeah. hired specifically for, for the purpose of helping with the stats and it's a small university where i work and i didn't have anything to do with it but people were sending me his stuff because they'd begun to notice that something was wrong because he was the expert he claimed to be an expert in statistics and i I wasn't around when he was hired but they found that nobody could understand anything that he said nobody could understand anything that he wrote and people with just a tiny bit of statistical ability were noticing that some things and the stuff that he submitted just kind of didn't add up and they asked me to check and look it turned out this guy was exactly the same he was actually a total fraud um yeah. he'd been hired out of desperation because it's very hard to hire a statistician <laughs> yeah in, in australia actually because they're kind of rare and um <laughs> yeah so these people are around like people who can 
sell themselves and get by, as you say, much more common in the private sector than in universities. It is. And I have some experience there and it's hilarious. It's hilarious. It's hilarious, yeah. To illustrate this, I'm just going to read a recent tweet from Eric, which is discussing his relationship to libertarianism. So let's see if this (laughs) illustrates any of the points you make. I view radical libertarianism as almost literally the linear approximation to a free society where you take all non-linear ways we impact each other and send them to zero in the libertarian limit. Conversely, they see my world as perturbation theory on a completely free society. So I don't know what you're talking about. Like to me, that's very clear what he's saying. Like he's made it more complicated. No, yeah. what, what? That's it's, like... it's a perfect analogy. He needed to draw those references just to make it clear. You know, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't clear until he mentioned perturbation theory. Yeah. <laughs> let me Chris, draw it. Let, yeah. You need to add all the nonlinear interactions in or approximate them, but you need freedom and its adjustments. <laughs> <laughs> that was just that's from the same thread. My Weinstein translator is I want libertarians to like me and I want to sound smart. <laughs> but, yeah. But, yeah. yeah but it's often fairly straightforward to see what is involved and getting lost in the jargon, it's like a you know uh, a Chinese finger trap or whatever. I'm sure that's racist. Well, you, you, we were taking, yeah, it is. You were, <laughs> we were, t- we were talking offline about our verbal tics and how when we listen to ourselves, they annoy us, and how we could feel that they are linearly. Huh? <laughs> huh? How's that? L- linearly related to the degree uh, of our lack of confidence in what we're saying, but they're not verbal tics for him. They're just, just throws out complicated words for people to sound he's smart. So like. That's the kind of insecurity that is, you know, it's very typical of narcissists. But he, you should be able to, I feel like just a little bit, uh, a little bit of listening to him, anybody should be able to pick up that he's not, actually, he's not smart, smart. Even when he doesn't have the water we go. <laughs> yeah, he's not smart. He's not well, smart, smart. Also, I just got to say, he didn't have a water wiggle when I was talking to Sabine Hofstadter, but he did have like a cardboard toilet roll holder. Which he was using like a water wiggle. <laughs> Which <he> was using. <laughs> it's good to have props. Yeah, he was holding it. I think there was a rubber band around it and he was, he was using that. But speaking of insecurity, I could read another tweet from Eric Weinstein. Yeah. Boom. Look at the itty bitty balls on little Timmy. That's my wow. wife's and my work, which Juan Maldacena used initially knowingly and without citation. As you know, you scum. You just called me a crackpot and simply to take our work, look forward to hearing from me. Good day. Hashtag oh. parasite, hashtag harasser. Oh, hashtagging. Oh, my God. You two postmodern bastards have jumped around from the, the, <laughs> the very careful narrative that I had scoped out. And Matt, you've now leapt on the Eric but before <laughs> even finishing sorry, the Fellow Skeptics Project. With the itty bitty balls tweet, which requires context, right? Because who is little Timmy itty bitty balls? <laughs> I'm the Chaos Dragon, Chris. I'm, all, I'm, I'm just noting something that one, David needs to go to bed at some point. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's very. And two, that we may not have time for the entire saga of everything. You guys are going to have to devote two more episodes to this. Yeah. Look, we, will, we will have time if we if we follow the regimented <laughs> plan. But, but, but look, okay, we'll get rid of itty bitty balls, Timmy, at this point. So 
do, do you know who that is? Your guest. Oh, yes. yeah. Yes. I listened to that episode with great interest because I wanted to know what was going on with gauge theory and if it was going to finally provide us with a unified theory. And um, I, I enjoyed it. And anybody, anybody can listen to Eric and Tim Nguyen speak. And if you don't come away thinking that it's very clear which one of them knows their stuff, then I think that there's something broken in your basic perception of other human beings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think Matt, we can tie up the Eric Bull in a very simple knot, which is what he's been doing in the meantime is insinuating that he's going to destroy, potentially legally uh, sue his critics who have been preventing him from releasing podcast episodes via some unspecified mechanism. And he's essentially suggested that he has the dirt on all of these figures, many of whom have appeared on our podcast, right? Tim and Dan Gilbert, Bad Stats. So he, he started releasing his evidence. And it's fair to say, like, the first one went down just like a lead balloon. He, he basically took a comment where Dan Gilbert... Uh, on a Discord server had made a thing saying, oh, I heard Eric said that he wanted to rape children. So that's what I'm going to spread across the internet. So it's obvious in that framing that that's a joke, right? Like that somebody <laughs> is is saying, oh, I'm going to interpret this in a malicious way and spread and he and didn't do that. But he used this as an illustration of like, this is the kind of information I have about my critics, and these are the kind of people they are. They make well, these horrific child abuse jokes. Well, no, no, no. He describes them as threats against his family. Yes, threats against his family. Yes. Uh, so, and, uh, so, like you would imagine that you probably lead with your strongest evidence. And he basically said, "In the coming days, you will learn what I've been enduring with." And like, there's a possibility that Eric has to deal with some unhinged fans. I imagine that's possible. But from my experience with Tim Nguyen and Dan Gilbert, they're just, they, like, they're reasonable people, you know, two online, like all of us, but they're yeah. they're not going to be hunting Eric's family down or, you know, trying to accost them at the crossroads. So this notion that this tweet is the, you know, and we got tagged in, by the way. I saw that. I, I saw that. Is this the kind of guru that you want to protect us from decoding the gurus? What have you got to say for yourselves? So you're you're officially uh, uh, bad guys, TM. Yeah, you're and <laughs> this is the first time Eric's ever directly referenced us. So a watershed yeah. moment. <laughs> and then in the the days to come, he actually tried. One of his fans and various people were saying, "No, what can we do, Eric?" Although it's fair to say most people responded by saying. What the fuck is this, Eric? This is someone making a joke on the Discord. Like, even his fans were like, "This is would like just release the podcast." But the uh, <laughs> the next day or a couple of days later, somebody released. He retweeted somebody who said, "You know what can we do, Eric?" And Eric's advice was, uh, "I'm paraphrasing, but it was essentially, please get my critics and like deal with them because." If these people can't be addressed, I don't. I don't have the ability to do it. And yes, yeah. So he, he's very concerned about the. Is it a Streisand effect? Is that the one where he he doesn't yeah, want to? Yeah, that's yeah. Right. He does. He no. He coined a new term. 
The oh, Streisand oh, squeeze. Streisand squeeze. Oh, the Streisand squeeze. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. There you, go. Uh, there you go. So he's he's mentioned that a lot, <laughs> and he very much encouraged his fans to go into bat for him and, you know, do your thing, Twitter type stuff. And there was very little response. Yeah, there um, was. <laughs> except, oh, and this is beautiful. Steve, I have to tell you this. this, this there is- was one account, Free Float 55 You've not heard that name before. No. This account just joined Twitter randomly. And it, it was an unusual account because it was mainly interested in the minutia of the Tim Nguyen and Eric Weinstein feud. And... It had an odd tweeting style saying, in what world is little Timmy a respected person over Eric Weinstein and so on. And it's the only other account that used the hashtags harasser and uh, parasite, which Eric used. So it's, it's a very strange account, but uh, I, I'm, I'm not insinuating anything. I'm just asking questions about free float 55. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, you 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 should be deeply afraid of the inevitable litigation that will come your way. Um, it's just a hypothesis, Dave. This is just a, we don't deal with conspiracy what's the theories. Account? What is that account still up? What's uh, it called? It disappeared and it came back. And I didn't want to name it because I was enjoying so much. Like, if it's not Eric, I will eat my shoe live on right, camera. Just- like the. Nobody else tweets like this. And it like right. the only account to use the hashtag, like how bad do you have to be at making an, an alternative? So it's called Free Float 55. And I'm just checking now. It's, it's since been deleted and I, I oh, can't believe wrong. I didn't I can't believe I didn't screenshot those tweets. Yeah. Dave, because I just just in terms of the use of length, like Eric has a distinctive mode of expression. And I, I, I tried to approach it in a very skeptical way that I, I would eat my hat if that wasn't Eric tweeting that. It was referencing minutia about like Weinstein world that I don't even know. So <laughs> it's like it's a, a, either an Uber fan that just appeared or. Yeah, right. It's. Uh, Eric. <laughs> so. <laughs> Can you imagine the embarrassment of being like followers get him and then like nobody, nobody. Just, like, <laughs> yeah. account, yeah. like it's so cringy oh, and it was God. it was abusive that like free flow account was like swearing and stuff so that's why it was i i like didn't want anybody i mentioned it to people but didn't want anyone to call it out because i <laughs> i just want to observe <laughs> eric in his natural habitat <laughs> like unleashed eric weinstein but he yeah he he but even with that about four or five people that are not me said aren't you just an eric sock puppet <laughs> so, and, and he was like sock puppet what's a sock puppet <laughs> wait wait yeah <laughs> wait till he finds out about ip addresses uh, <laughs> uh, so okay so that's eric we he's gone we'll close out the the weinstein saga by i've got a couple of clips you guys, I like to take Weinstein clips and I think you need to hear them. So first of all, since we've been talking about Eric, here's Eric. So he did the podcast on Rebel Wisdom. This Rebel Wisdom channel has a lot to answer for in the recent months with the Weinsteins. And this is Eric talking about, he basically said he didn't agree with Brett. And he actually, first clip, this is him talking about Sam's criticisms. So listen mm-hmm. to how he framed them. 
Well, I think Sam kept his sword mostly in its sheath. I think that Sam is a... Sam and I both maintain different versions of a principle. I'm more radical than he is. I believe that there is a lot of residual wisdom in a corrupt system. I believe that our institutions are degrading. They are greatly degraded. I cannot stand the leadership class. But I believe that all of those things, like um, all the things that are in place in a hospital to make sure they don't cut off the wrong leg if you're having uh, an amputation or something, these things are part of the wisdom. They, they were put there in part by people who are now dead where nobody remembers why they're there. So I think Sam has an instinctual feeling that the system works. Now, obviously, there's the personal dimension here, but we shouldn't get distracted by the soap opera. These are hugely significant topics of importance to everybody. The, the, that weird music wasn't in your head, by the way. That was in the <laughs> background of the clip. What? <laughs> yeah, I, I love that because he's essentially saying, like, we are the descendants of, you know, the the real geniuses who, you know, discovered fire, built aircrafts, but we are like the monkeys who don't know how to do it. So we're just worshiping the technology and some of the information of the ancients is still there in the institutions, but it's now run by like corrupt bureaucrats who don't understand how any of the systems actually work. Wait, by the way, you know, uh, those systems like what's in place to prevent you from getting the wrong leg amputated <laughs> Those are the ones that Sam trusts, but I'm a rebel. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm pretty, I trust those as well. I'm pretty sure that's just a marker on your leg as well. <laughs> uh, oh, man. So that, that clip was just to load up the better clip. Okay. Okay. But I mean, it, it, it borders on gibberish. It, it does, but this is how Eric needs to frame that. He thinks Sam has a point. Yeah. Right. He has to coach yeah. it in all this yeah. kind of vague stuff, because he can't directly just say Brett is wrong. And this is him talking about, like, he does express that he disagrees with Brett, but this is how he frames it in that discussion. What's going on with Brett, what's going on with Ivermectin, the Joe Rogan podcast, with all of this stuff, is downstream of a total leadership vacuum. I know what to do to build leadership. I know what I would do if I were a member of the establishment in terms of sitting in a seat at an institution. We have careerists, we have peacetime careerists where we need wartime generals. And I know what to do as a wartime general. I don't know what to do with peacetime careerists in a war, in a war footing. Now, everything is downstream from that. Like blaming Brett Weinstein Whoa, 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 whoa. You told people not to wear masks because they don't work, or in fact, they retain germs, so you can get sick from your masks, so don't wear masks, but make sure that the health professionals wear I mean, that's such an affront to the mind that, um, and, and you're still sitting in your position. You're still lying to the public. Uh, I don't think we understand that the era of pre-internet public health is permanently over for the rest of our lives. You cannot come up with cute little rhyme schemes or, you know, my personal favorite is there's a tradition of storytelling in public health where you try to get celebrities to do things 
sorry. I, I let that go on too long. <laughs> I got interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, oh, my God. So man. you can't blame I, Brett, right? Because the WHO said they didn't recommend mask wearing for the public at the very start of the pandemic. Like, this is something, Dave, that I just, I'm so, there's like a personal a thing that deeply upsets me because if you followed the recommendations of the WHO, the CDC, from the beginning of the pandemic, what you would have done is social distance, practice good hygiene after a month into the pandemic, started wearing masks in all occasions. But but you shouldn't have been out in public in crowds anyway because they were saying, avoid those, don't do that, right? So this notion that if you followed the advice of the experts, you basically had a death wish. It's just bullshit. Even the mask thing, it's a its a short-term thing. And they were already recommending that you don't go out in public or meet in groups. So, uh, right. And if they were wrong about the masks, then they became right when they said, start wearing masks. And now you're still mad at them for lying, like lying, not being wrong, lying. So why? Why were they lying? Why does he think that them switching a month in to say, no, shit, wear masks? Yeah. Like, why is why were they lying for that month? It, what was the end game there? And why are you still mad? Why are you still mad now? Look, either you're supposed to wear masks or you're supposed to not. Look, I mean, I, th- I think the interesting thing here is the the subtext or the reason for making such a big deal out about this. It's, it's he's so keen to destroy the credibility of public health, and this is just like he made such a big deal over their their finance the thing that they did with inflation what was that called chris oh um, the boskin commission the boskin commission or whatever this was the smoking gun apparently that completely invalidates all of economic theory and economic <laughs> management just like his revelations about physics demolishes physics just like brett's revelations yeah. about mouse telomeres destroys the entire pharmaceutical industry and and probably evolution as well so the point <laughs> the point to all of this is to try to like his term is fud have you heard of fud yeah fear uncertainty doubt yeah so he he thinks that these nefarious groups are all about sowing fear uncertainty and doubt whereas the truth is to what end yeah that's what that's what they do that is their that is their entire thing to to take any little ambiguity and to use a crowbar to turn that into a huge amount of doubt and and fear in order to attempt to disparage other sources of um, knowledge and center themselves as being ready in his nice suit to step in and be a wartime general and take the reins wartime you know this guy owns a sword. Yeah. You just know it. You know he has like some samurai sword <laughs> over his mantelpiece, you know. I'm wondering why he's not dressed in army fatigues. <laughs> like the, the clothing is supposed to be signaling readiness. You should go the whole hog. Just wear a general suit with badges and yeah, like exactly. purple hearts and shit. Cap- Captain <laughs> Crunch. Just Captain Crunch himself out. Um, but here is the, the fucking cowardice that really makes me mad where it makes me just say like fuck you because he to deflect the very real damage that his brother is doing to to not even in a in an honorable sounding way defend his brother 
he is wanting to have his cake and eat it too. He wants to still stay in with the cool kids and and yet not blatantly throw his brother under the bus. He's playing this line where anybody who wants to continue to believe in Brett's ivermectin bullshit can continue to do so because, you know, Eric didn't come out and say he was wrong. But clearly sounds like he knows that his brother is wrong and is too much of a coward to call him out on it. Mm-hmm. And it, I would not give three-fifths of a fuck about these brothers if it weren't that so many people are listening to them and this is just causing grief, causing suffering, and causing death. That, that you can't just get up and say, you know what, get vaccinated. I don't care what my brother says about this. He's a smart guy. I love him. I don't care what he says, though. Get vaccinated. Have some fucking balls, man. Yeah. Or ovaries or whatever yeah. it takes. Because, <laughs> you know, you mentioned, Dave, about like the actual consequences and the the context around this and part of the reason that a lot of the criticism of Brett became more pointed was that there was this case where there was a British man who had been vocally skeptic about the vaccines and the relative threat of covid and he was sharing Brett's content and he basically live streamed almost up to the point where he died right from it. So it's oh, like, God. it's a tragic event. And of course it's a, you know, it's, it's just an anecdotal story. But we can plug in, we can plug in the statistics, Chris, can't we? And we can, right. we, we know by the audience reach and so on that we can confidently expect he's, there's more than one. Anyway, go on, sorry. Yeah, it's just a, it's a dramatic illustration of something which Yuri and various other people are saying has to be happening behind the scenes. And obviously it is because when people don't take the vaccines and there's a deadly virus going around that is killing millions of people in the global pandemic, people die. And there's an amusing element to it where Brett's fans are leaving reviews for horse paste on Amazon, right? And it's it's hard not to have a kind of macabre, macabre that's the way you say that, uh, humorous reaction to it. But it, it also, like, that shit's real. Like, people are not getting vaccinated and eating horse paste. And yeah. you're like, man, it, it really, all this stuff, all this drama around the IDW and how hard it is to call people out and stuff like in this situation, like, how hard is it just to say, like, what you said, you know, you should get vaccinated and you can still have all your criticism of institutions, but this is a deadly pandemic and the evidence shows that these work. So get vaccinated, whatever else you do. Yeah. If Eric thinks that Brett is wrong and he's talking like this, then this is just evil. It's just evil. You know, it's it's shameful it is it yeah. is but look and i my there's two there's two final clips so maybe this will bring us back <laughs> we can come to end on a, on a positive <laughs> note you these clips yeah. are going to really lighten your day so <laughs> one is you remember the better skeptics project remember that matt <laughs> that, we were, that we were trying to finish out well here's brett responding to that project. This is how he reads what that project found. I thought this is a dangerous way to do this. It's prone to several different kinds of bias that I don't see um, protected against in it. And I was very concerned uh, about, you know, 
process that, um, you know, incentivize instead of people having skin in the game, it incentivized them to go nitpicking and, um, and all of this. But anyway, in the end, it gave us not a totally clean bill of health, but a remarkably clean bill of health in light of how much, um, landscape and how many complaints, uh, certain people had made. So given that that process concluded, and that that process does say something about the quality of what we've been doing here on Dark Horse. Didn't David have some obligation to say, well, you know, here's the process that I suggested might evaluate this, and here's the conclusion, which is not what he did. He actually circumvented it. And yeah. um, frankly, I resent it, which David knows because I've said it to him. There you go, David. Totally. <laughs> so you, you could take all that back, what you said there, because Dave... <laughs> Yeah, and he—it's—it's it's almost like he addressed you personally. I resent it. Right, him, right. I, I, I felt let it. No, <laughs> I felt it. At least he didn't call me Tamler. <laughs> um, I, I mean, what an amazing, amazing ability to read—to uh, <laughs> read into something <laughs> the way that you only the way you want to read into. Imagine it. it's like you delving into your Reddit and finding someone <laughs> issuing a defense of you and saying, "Well, we we had our criticisms, but on our Reddit, if you look, there's somebody who thinks that we are the dog's balls." And like, really, what else matters at the end? And, of and, the day? to like wrap it in that rhetoric, you know, I was really concerned. I I know that there are biases that creep into the process. And then to use, I believe, the phrase that, uh, what's his name, Nassim uh, uses, yeah, Yeah, his uh, skin in the game, um, (laughs) who just reminded me that I think that Talib actually has shit on Brett quite a bit. Um, (laughs) Surprise me. Uh, To wrap it all into that, oh, oh, man. I don't... Sometimes when I see the dark horse, I think, who isn't hate watching this? Aren't we all here to hate watch it? And then I have to remind mm. myself, no, 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 you should don't, don't read the YouTube comments because don't, <laughs> don't go into the, this is the one thing I truly can say to all listeners and you, Dave and anyone don't go into the corner of the internet where Brett's true fans reside. The Dr. Roller Gator water mm-hmm. is Good God, stay away from that end of the internet. It's a, it's a horrifying place. Yeah. I just, I just went onto the IDW subreddit and there's a nice little list of names of people who belong and links to Eric and Sam and Jordan. Is this one of theirs? <laughs> well, there's lots of subreddits which are not pretty critical. Like Sam Harris's subreddit is half hit. And like, you know, I think there's usually a healthy, if you've got a healthy mix in your subreddit, that's good. But there's one, I think it's just called IDW. And it's like, it, it is, it is not that it is like pure, it's the pure distilled essence of the IDW in subreddit form. And so oh, if you're looking at that, that's a, yeah, that's a beautiful thing. And I, I like, so you thought that that clip was bad. This is the last clip we're going to let. You go to bed very soon. All right. But I think this go out with a bang. This is a good one to end with. So to editorialize, this is at the end of the process where you've had Sam Harris release two episodes. You've had Yuri Dagan 
do a two-hour slideshow presentation with David Fuller. Then David Fuller comes out with a massive long article in Aereo, which is quite sympathetic to Brett, but which essentially says, you know, he's just trying to make sense in this ecosystem, but it, it at the same time says, but he's got trapped in the neck bubble and he's, he's promoting disinformation. And so there's that article. Then there's this huge article in Medium, which David Fuller also releases, going through the evidence for each of Brett's claims and collating all of the refutations. And he releases a video series where he's interviewing people, kind of slamming Brett. So these three things come out on the same day. Uh-huh. And that that's part oh, of what wow. Brett is reacting to. So he has that. He has Eric has appeared with David as well, essentially doing as much as Eric can do to say negative yeah. things. And then... Brett and Heller released a podcast which essentially avoided all mention of the ivermectin vaccine controversy until it got to the Q&A section. And then they addressed it in a few short segments. So this is an extract from that clip of why they haven't talked about it and what they're going to do moving forward. I mean, there, there, there is a lot more to say, but basically... Um... There's been very little careful scientific pushback. Uh, there's been a lot of social post- pushback. And what we have said privately to people is this feels very postmodern. It feels very familiar. It feels very much like there's a social universe um, and a set of social conclusions that people insist that we must come to. And um, trying to figure out what is actually true um, should not interface with that social universe, nor does social pressure change what is actually true. And so we have made a conscious decision to not be talking about it as much anymore absent big changes in what we understand to be true. We are not going to play defense. We are not going to respond to uh, critiques that don't have new information in them and the people making them know what uh, what that means. And um, there's just a lot of evidence that continues to grow, that suggests that the position that we have laid out both in what we wrote and what we have said on many previous episodes um, holds. And if that changes, if anything about that reverses, we will absolutely come to um, to to you, our listeners. There you have it. I, you know what? Can I just say fuck you guys for uh, <laughs> ruining the rest of my night? First of all, it's because of you guys that I can even all, just through hearing, I can recognize all of their voices <laughs> just because of your tweets. Second, tonight I'm just going to be on like r slash IDW trying to get into the minds of these people. But third, her voice is kind of sexy and smoky when she's giving me that misinformation. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll talk to that as well. I, I think like most of these figures have a very good authoritative yeah. voice for what they're yeah. saying. I would pay to listen to a two-channel audio of Heather and Sam Harris, you know, in each ear, <laughs> yeah. like whispering, what's, uh, blowing down. <laughs> what's that book that was like a spin-off from the Twilight series that became like a, a erotic sensation? The BDSM, Fifty Shades of Grey. Or yeah, something. like Sam yeah. and Hella reading <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey. I feel that you know that would be forget the Patreon money. That's where the real. <laughs> rubber hits the road but 
But David, that this is all sounded very postmodern. You're not discussing the substance. You're not discussing the scientific. Who cares that Heller has a sexy reading voice? It's it is insane making. It is being gaslit by somebody I don't care about. It's like when she says that stuff, I'm like, wait, how is it postmodern to disagree with you about like the scientific facts? Like, the, and how could you accuse a sci- scientist of being postmodern when it, like, it is the most post, what she's doing is the most postmodern, <laughs> yeah. postmodern thing that you can imagine. It's like, I literally feel like just uh, uh, anger bubbling up in me at being gaslit by the sexy voiced woman. Yeah. yeah. I, I should have ended with the Russian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you should have ended it with the Russian. Then I would have gone straight to sleep like a baby. <laughs> Maybe oh. we should tell your listeners that we are in very, very different time zones. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just to reiterate, we scheduled this at a time that's extraordinarily convenient for me and Chris and well beyond Dave's bedtime. And I'm consciously aware of that. So thank you so much. Months, Dave, for staying up late, despite all the glasses of wine. I appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. I, I hope that we can do something similar again. Um, the, the only question is who who cannot make me go crazy? Well, like the, 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 you guys the, the second thing I feel like apologizing for is that we not only kept you up very late, but we, we kept you up late mainly to sit there and listen to us <laughs> ranting about our obsessive pet projects instead you know well, so i don't know next time we'll have to let you i no I, need to apologize for that because as you know listening to podcasts is an intimate medium and so if i had the option of just listening to you guys as i was trying to fall asleep um but this in this way i get to talk back yeah yeah that, you know? that's you know, I tried to tell Matt, like, Matt, we don't need to put out another Weinstein episode. It's, you know, it's too much. And Matt is just always, no, Chris, give the people what they want. They want to come on. I know you you don't like listening to it, but I I, I care about our Patreon. So, I mean, he's, he's now trying to editorialize that this is, he's reluctant to do it. But behind the scenes, I, I'm just his little monkey. He grinds around to talk about the Weinsteins, Chris. Say what they've said. (laughs) You know what I love is you should, if you're not patrons of these guys, then you should be because if you would just get the visual, you would know who's lying and who's telling the truth very, very clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Look, Matt Matt is a seasoned, all this research on gurus, he's perfected the facial twerks. He's, he's, he's got like charisma oozing out of his pores. I'm, I'm, Thankfully, grateful that <laughs> none of our listeners can be seduced by his boyish <laughs> come hello looks because, yeah, yeah they, they, the common comment that we actually get when people see videos is like they're just surprised that I don't look like a fucking craggy thousand year old man. <laughs> and the uh, uh, generally. Very complimentary about your appearance, Matt. Silver Fox has been mentioned more than once, right? Mm. Mm. Well, I think there's one thing we can all agree on is that everybody must start listening to you guys because of the sexy accents. That has to be what's driving most of your traffic. (laughs) Maybe we should read Fifty Shades of Grey. (laughs) I'll do the female voices, Matt. (laughs) I'm I'm imagining a a new tier for the Patreon. Um, It's (laughs) Black black Label. (laughs) 
<laughs> he stepped firmly onto the Lillard chair and strapped me down rigorously. <laughs> Nobody oh. wants to hear that. <laughs> yeah. My only question is how uh, two British, uh, two English accents could be so different. <laughs> oh. Oh. Okay. Oh. Oh. That's, that's oh. problematic. Yeah. That's problematic. That's problematic. <laughs> That's just got to go. That's got to be cut. So uh, <laughs> that's yeah. just it for your patrons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, like Matt said, I have to say, Dave, you handled me and Matt's obsession and the meandering postmodern route that we took, despite our extensive notes to to try and avoid otherwise. And you also handled about. 30 or 40 minutes of random banter before we began the 30 minute banter introduction to the podcast. So this man is a podcasting <laughs> trooper because you, you also recorded an episode, right? Prior to starting we, this. We recorded, we only recorded our little support section, which for Tamler and I is 83 minutes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's good to hear. I, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Well, but. well there's, there's almost no need for us to recommend um, to our listeners to check out Very Bad Wizards because I'm pretty sure the, the Venn diagram of our audiences is where like a a very small circle embedded within that large circle. But for the three or four people that don't, do check it out. Yeah. And well, when you guys start your anti-vaccine descent, we will call you out. You guys are going down. That's right. That's what, that's what, that's what friends do, Dave. <laughs> yeah. We're going to step into your Patreon gap. and <laughs> We both know which one of us would be falling into an anti-vaccine trap in it. It's going to be, gonna oh, be I, the, guy who, the guy who believes in ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. People keep insinuating that basically we're, you know, kite chasing. We want to take down the Weinstein so that we can enter the intellectual dark web as the, I don't know, like a Sith. You kill them and you, you inherit their power. The kings, the kings are dead. Long live <laughs> yeah. the king. Long live the gurus. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but the real mission we have is is really to take your spot. <laughs> the very bad yeah. Yeah. This is and our our Reddit is a fucking like a polyp. Oh, that's which right. Topped off from your subreddit. So yeah, that's that's maybe not the nicest way to describe the kind effort of our fans to develop a, a subreddit, which is really good. But uh, yeah, that. Uh, so we owe a lot to you. You are your grandfathers in in many respects. Well, thank you. We are old. You'll be able to take our spot soon. We we're near death. <laughs> I promise you. But thank you guys so much for having me on. This was a blast. Yeah. According to lineage selection, we're all working for the same ends anyway. So <laughs> at least us white people. <laughs> all right. Well, enough bantery exity things cute outro music so cheers Steve. everybody listen to very bad wizards and don't listen to the weinsteins for medical advice but do listen for entertainment and every so often and not every week and for gauge theory <laughs> that's how we should end we should end everything for gauge theory <laughs> yeah for gauge theory <laughs>